Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Jim Shannon. Question one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Colour Sergeant Alan Cameron from 1st Battalion, the Scots Guards, who died on Thursday the 31st of March as a result of injuries he suffered while serving in Afghanistan last April, and Captain Lisa Head from 11 Explosive Ordnance Disposal Regiment, Royal Logistic Corps, who died on Tuesday the 19th of April. Colour Sergeant Cameron was an inspirational figure to his regiment, providing support to injured colleagues and their families even while he was being treated in hospital for his own injuries. Captain Head, she demonstrated great bravery in her work making safe IEDs to protect both her colleagues and the local population. They will not be forgotten, and our wishes and best condolences should be with their families and friends. I'm sure the whole House will also want to join me in sending our condolences to the families, friends and colleagues of Police Constable Ronan Kerr. Those who murdered him must not be allowed to deter the wishes of the overwhelming majority of people who want a peaceful and shared future for Northern Ireland. On a happier note, Mr Speaker, I mean, people across the country and indeed across the world are getting excited about the events on Friday, and I'm sure the whole House would wish to join me in sending our best wishes to Prince William and to Catherine Middleton ahead of their wedding this Friday and to wish them a long and happy life together. Yeah. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Jim Shannon. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'd like to associate myself with the comments of the, of the Prime Minister in relation to uh, the condolences for those people who have, who have lost their lives in Afghanistan and also welcome home the Irish Rangers and the Irish Guards back from their tour of duty in Afghanistan. On Easter Monday, dissident Republicans had a commemorative parade in Londonderry. They threw down the gauntlet to all of the law-abiding uh, citizens in Northern Ireland. The murderous thugs that are dissident Republicans threatened to kill PSNI officers, both Roman Catholic and Protestant. They threatened the churches, both Protestant and Roman Catholic. They threatened politicians, both unionists and nationalists. They threatened the members of the Northern Ireland Assembly and MPs in this House. Can the Prime Minister today assure this House that the attack upon the democratic process will be forcefully met and that those Republican terrorists must be brought to justice? Thank you, Mr Speaker. I can give that assurances. I'm sure everyone in this House and indeed in this country would agree that scenes of people dressed in balaclavas in Londonderry are completely unacceptable. We have funded the PSNI uh, appropriately. They're now properly devolved and working well, and I would urge them to do everything they can to hunt down these people. But above all, the words that should ring in our ears are the words of the mother of Police Constable Ronan Carr, who said that she hoped that this would not stop more Roman Catholics joining the PSNI and doing a great job policing Northern Ireland. Mr Brian Binley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, does the Prime Minister recognise that lending to business by banks was down £3.4 last month in March and that the construction industry was down in productive terms by 4.7%? Does the Prime Minister see a connection? And if he does, what will he do about it? Well, the Honourable Gentleman is right that in the figures today, what's happening in the construction industry is disappointing. We do need to get Britain building again, and that's why we're introducing the new homes bonus. But what is encouraging in the figures is the British economy is growing once again, manufacturing is up, exports are up, and we're seeing a rebalancing of the economy, so we're not over-reliant on private consumption. That's good news. And on the banks, we have an agreement with them. They must increase their lending to businesses, large and small, and that needs to happen. Mr Ed Miliband. 
Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Colour Sergeant Alan Cameron and Captain Lisa Head? Both demonstrated enormous courage and bravery, and our thoughts are with their family and friends. I also pay tribute to Police Constable Ronan Kerr, who was senselessly murdered simply for doing his job. And we should all be encouraged by the expressions of outrage we have seen across all communities in Northern Ireland in response to this act. I also join the Prime Minister in sending best wishes to Prince William and Catherine Middleton on their happy day on Friday. And I'm sure I also speak for him and the Deputy Prime Minister and myself when I say we will all do our best to be suitably attired for the occasion. Mr Speaker, turning to the economy, does the Prime Minister think it is a mark of success or failure that the economy has flatlined over the last six months? It's clearly a success. The economy is growing. Yes, yes. The figures out this morning show the economy growing in the first quarter of the year. They show manufacturing up, exports up, and we've got 400,000 more people in work in the private sector than we had a year ago. But the honourable gentleman predicted a double dip. He said we were going to get two quarters of negative growth. So when he gets to his feet, Perhaps it's time to apologise for talking the economy down. Mr Speaker, what world is he living in? What, extra what extraordinary complacency. What extraordinary complacency. His honourable friend asked about what's happening to small business lending. What terrible complacency from this Prime Minister. Six, six, six months ago, what did he tell us? That we were out of the danger zone. Since then, there's been no growth at all in the British economy. And then yesterday, the Chancellor was reported to have told the Cabinet that the economy was on track. But it's not even forecast to meet the figures published by the Office of Budget Responsibility last month. Last month, the, public, the figures published last month by the Chancellor. Isn't it the case that it's his cuts that are too far and too fast, that are squeezing living standards, undermining consumer confidence and holding back growth in our economy? The right honourable gentleman was desperate for the economy to shrink today. Yes, he'd written his questions, he'd come to the House. The only problem was the economy was growing, not shrinking. He said, and the Shadow Chancellor said, there'd be a double dip recession. They had talked the economy down. Now the economy's growing. Why can't they find it in themselves to welcome the growth in the economy? We should be talking up the fact that manufacturing is increasing, we're exporting more. 390,000 more people in private sector jobs than a year ago. These are welcome developments. Now he talks about the danger zone. I'll tell him what the danger zone is. The danger zone is countries like Portugal, Greece, Ireland, who didn't deal with their debts and as a result have got interest rates rocketing and real problems. We've got debts, tragically because of what we inherited, a deficit the same size as Greece, but we got interest rates like Germany. So it's time for him to admit he was wrong about the deficit and wrong about the economy. First of, all, first of all, it's not me who's talking down the economy. It's his austerity rhetoric that has led to the lowest levels of consumer confidence in history in this country. And, and Mr Speaker, he's been Prime Minister for a year. He can't, he can't blame the Greeks. He can't blame the Bank of England. He can't blame the last government. He can't even blame the snow. Why, 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 doesn't, he, why doesn't he admit 
Why doesn't he admit that six months of no growth is because of his decisions, his Chancellor's decisions and his government's decisions? The economy has grown by 1.8% over the last year. But let me tell him this. I did a little research. All the time, all the time the right honourable gentleman was in the Cabinet, there wasn't one single quarter when the economy grew more than 0.5%. Not one. So that is his great record. Now let me tell him something. Let me tell him something about the need to make public spending cuts. We are now in a new financial year, the year in which the Darling Plan was going to cut the deficit and start the process of cutting it by half. So for every £8 we are proposing to cut this year, they would be cutting £7. Have we heard a single sensible proposal for making any cut? Or have we just heard blatant opportunism and talking the economy down? I think we know. Medine Dorries. Will the Prime Minister join me in condemning this appalling, disgraceful, untruthful, misleading leaflet which is being distributed by the Yes to Fairer Votes campaign, which is being chaired by the Electoral Reform Society. This leaflet seeks to diminish Parliament and therefore damage democracy, which, given the content of the leaflet, can be the only objective of the Electoral Reform Society. I think what matters in this week that we have left before we vote in this vital referendum is to get back to the real arguments about competing electoral systems. I'm very clear that first past the post is simple, is fair, is effective, has worked for our country, and I have to say it's not often I like to look out on a sea of red badges, but today it looks quite good. (laughs) Kevin Brennan. Is the... Is the Health Secretary's job still guaranteed? He's over there, by the way. <laughs> health Secretary does an excellent job. And let me... Um, and let me... Let me draw... Let me draw a little contrast. Order! Order! This is very discourteous and it's very unfair. It's unfair on the Prime Minister and it's unfair on me. I want to hear the answer. The Prime Minister. Let me draw a little contast between what the Health Secretary is delivering here, real terms increases in health spending, and what is happening in Wales. Because what is happening in Wales is the Labour-led administration is cutting the NHS in real terms. Everyone in Wales needs to know if they get another Labour-dominated assembly, they'll get cuts in the NHS, whereas in England we'll see increases in the NHS because of the magnificent work of my right honourable friend. Mr Adrian Sanders. Thank you, Mr Speaker. People have been shocked at the scale and extent of phone hacking allegations against some of our most popular newspapers. In order to uncover the truth, will the Prime Minister instigate a full judicial inquiry and in particular look at the relationship between the Metropolitan Police and News International? What's absolutely clear is that phone hacking is not only unacceptable, it is against the law, it is illegal, it is a criminal offence. And I would urge the police and the prosecuting authorities to follow the evidence wherever it leads. That must happen first and we mustn't let anything get in the way of criminal investigations. Debbie Abrahams. Could the Prime Minister explain why, if there is a genuine pause in the enactment of a health and social care bill, why the inception cluster PCTs which are preceding the GP consortia, such as Greater Manchester Cluster PCT has been brought forward yeah, to the first of, uh, from the 1st of June to the 3rd of May. 
Isn't this pause nothing more than window dressing? Yeah. Yeah. Political manoeuvring before next week's election. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the Honourable Lady is wrong. This is a genuine exercise in trying to make sure that we get the very best out of these reforms. And this is looking specifically at areas like public accountability, like choice and competition, education and training, the patient involvement, aspects of the reforms. Of course we've got to go ahead with driving out the bureaucracy and the additional costs from the NHS. We inherited, I think rightly frankly, from Labour a £20 billion efficiency programme. We've got to take that through, but there's a genuine opportunity to make these reforms better still. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <coughs> Suffolk is amongst the worst served areas of the country for broadband, and the commonly cited final third of premises beyond the reach of commercial broadband deployment is more like a final two thirds. With nearly one fifth of all Suffolk premises receiving speed of less than two megabytes per second, does the Prime Minister agree with me that investment in broadband in Suffolk <coughs> is essential to boost our economic recovery? I think the Honourable Gentleman, my Honourable Friend, is absolutely right. We must put this investment in. We are spending, I think, £530 million investing in broadband, and particular, particularly in rural areas, broadband is going to be absolutely vital in driving the creation of small businesses and growing businesses that will be so important to keep the growth of employment in our country. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell us why 98.7% of nurses have no confidence in his health reorganisation? Well, inevitably, when you make changes in public services, when you make changes in public services, it is a challenge taking people with you. But that is the whole point of pausing the reforms and then trying to get them going again with greater support from doctors and nurses. But what we're, what we're finding is that 90% of the country is covered by GP fund-holding practices who want to see these reforms succeed. So what I would say to the Honourable Gentleman, if he wants to make some constructive suggestions, why not have a try? Ed Miliband. Deary me, Mr Speaker, that wasn't a very good answer, was it? I asked him, I asked him why 98.7% of nurses have no confidence in this policy. Because it's a bad policy. It's a policy nobody voted for. It's a policy that wasn't in his manifesto. It wasn't in his manifesto either at the general election. It wasn't even in the coalition agreement. And maybe one of the reasons why they had no confidence in his policy is because two years ago he went to the Royal College of Nursing and said there will be no more pointless top-down reorganisation. Mr. Mr Speaker, next question. Why is it that hospital waiting times fell year on year under the last Labour government but have risen month on month under this government? Well, that, that, that's simply not the case, actually. If you look at... No. If you look at the outpatient, look at outpatient waiting times, they actually fell in the last month, so he's simply wrong about that, as he usually is. I have to say, I've looked at, in the opportunity to study his representations about the reforms, I've had a good look. He says that we are introducing EU competition policy for the first time. It doesn't. He says we're allowing GPs to charge. We're not. He says that patients will be left without services. They won't. Why doesn't he realise, instead of frightening people, he ought to make a constructive contribution? Ed Miliband. Another totally hopeless answer. I was, asking, I was asking him about waiting times. The Department of Health figures are these. Waiting times are 20% up for those waiting more than 18 weeks. 
ANE weights are at a record level compared to six years ago. Now, Mr. Speaker, one of the reasons why waiting times have gone up is because he's diverting billions of pounds away from patient care into this costly reorganisation. Let, let me give him this suggestion. Just for once, why doesn't he listen to the doctors, the patients and the nurses and scrap his reorganisation? Well, he asked me to listen to doctors. Here's one doctor I'm definitely going to listen to. I hope the honourable members opposite will remember Howard Stoat, who was the Member of Parliament for Dartford. Yes, he's, he's, no longer, he's no longer an MP because he lost the election, I'm afraid, because of a Conservative candidate. But he's now a GP. He says, calm, calm down, dear. Calm down. Calm down. Listen, listen to the doctor. Calm down and listen to the doctor. Howard Stoat, GP, says this. My discussions with fellow GPs reveal overwhelming enthusiasm for the... Ch I said, calm down. Yes, calm down, dear. I'll say it to you if you like. No, I mean... Order, order, let's have the answer briefly and we'll move on to backbenchers whose rights I'm interested in protecting. A brief answer, the Prime Minister. It's a very brief quote from a Labour MP who's now a GP who said, my discussions with fellow GPs reveal overwhelming enthusiasm for the chance to help shape services for the patients they see daily. That is what Labour MPs, now acting as GPs, think of the reforms. That's what's happening. And I have to say... I'm not going to apologise. You do need to calm down. What I would say to the honourable gentleman, in the week, in the week, <laughs> uh, order, order. There's far too much noise in this chamber, which makes a order, which makes a very bad impression on the public as a whole, and the other people waiting to contribute. I think the prime minister has finished. Mr. William Cash. Good. During the recess, uh, a number of European issues have arisen. The Portuguese bailout, increase in the European budget and proposals for corporation tax at the European level. Will the Prime Minister recoin a phrase, simply say to all of those matters, no, no, no? Well, my honourable friend makes an important point about the European budget. The idea of a 5% increase at a time when member states are having to make reductions in difficult public spending programmes at home is completely unacceptable and we'll make sure it doesn't happen. Phil Wilson. Aon is proposing to build the largest wind farm in England in my constituency with 45 wind turbines, 100 metres high, or even more than that. Just less than a mile away from two big conurbations and on beautiful landscape in the area. Under the localism bill, can the Prime Minister inform us what influence my constituents will have on the planning decision concerning this massive intrusion on the landscape? And will he ask the relevant planning minister to meet me and a delegation of constituents to discuss it further? I'm very happy to arrange that meeting, and I think it is important that local people have a greater say in planning decisions, and that is what we're putting in place. But also, I believe that where wind farms do go ahead, local people should see a greater benefit in, ter in terms of the finance that goes into the local area. And again, that is what our plans will achieve. Dr. Sarah Wollaston.
completed the Medical Training Application Service, or MTAS. Junior doctors will remember what a disaster that was. Yes. Yes. Disruptive and untested system had disastrous consequences for junior doctors in training. But is the Prime Minister aware that there are concerns that current proposals to reorganise medical training and workforce planning could have similar unforeseen consequences? I have to say to the Honourable Lady, she is a lot better at getting them to shut up than I am. And uh, I think this is a future speaker in the making. But I can absolutely guarantee to my honourable friend we are not going to make the mistake that the last government made about medical training where they created an utter shambles. Bill Esterson. Uh, Mr Speaker, Eddie Kay from McGill had excellent treatment when he was in hospital recently and I'm glad to say he's recovering well. But while he was in hospital, his operation was cancelled four times. He was told also about the closure of beds and the redundancies of nurses on his ward. Doesn't Mr Kay's experience show the Prime Minister was wrong to claim he would not cut the NHS? Yeah. The point I'd make to uh, the Honourable Gentleman, of course there are things that go wrong in our National Health Service and that's one of the reasons I think we need to reform and modernise it. But the fact is there was only one party at the last election that said we're going to increase the NHS in real terms and that is exactly what we're doing. And he should have words if he's worried about NHS cuts, have words with his colleagues in Wales who are proposing to cut the National Health Service. Not, not in cash terms but in real terms they are planning to do that and he should help us put a stop to it. Stephen Gilbert. Grateful, Mr Speaker. Um, across the country, two million families are on waiting lists for social housing. Almost a million homes lay empty, and the average age for a first-time buyer is now 37. Does the Prime Minister acknowledge that there's a housing crisis in Britain, and will the government be publishing a strategy to tackle it? Yeah, no, we do acknowledge the, the very difficult situation we inherited, where house building was at a you know, it was at a 60, 70 year low. And so we need to introduce ways to actually make sure that local communities want to see more houses built. The old top-down system didn't work. I believe the new homes bonus and the incentives we're giving to local authorities will mean that extra housing goes ahead. John Woodcock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Rather than losing his rag because he's losing the argument, will he explain, will he explain why waiting times have been going up in my constituency and across the country? Well, well he's simply wrong about waiting times. He's not, he's not right. I quoted the figures. The, I quoted the figures. They've been broadly stable over the last couple of years. That is the, the fact. And the key point I'd make to him, because he is meant to be a moderniser, is that if you want to see waiting times come down and stay down, then having a system with greater choice, where patients can choose where they're treated and how quickly to get treated, that is the best answer. He used to be a moderniser. There's still time to get on board. Fiona Bruce. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm engaged in a consultation process with my constituents in Cheshire East on an issue of great concern to them, the commercialisation and sexualisation of childhood. As a parent, as a parent, does my right honourable friend agree with my constituents that action needs to be taken to find real solutions for this challenging issue to give every child the childhood they deserve? I completely agree with my honourable friend. As a parent of, of three little ones, it is incredibly worrying when 
uh, you start seeing what's available in some shops and some places, and we're asking our children effectively to grow up too early. And I do think there's a lot more we can do. That's why we've asked the Chief Executive of the Mothers' Union to carry out an independent review into this vital area. Uh, we're looking at a, a whole range of specific issues that include television, video, uh, and other pressures that are put on people, and we're expecting the report in a few weeks' time. Ian Lucas, Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah. The Prime Minister has described hospices as one of the great successes of the big society. Why is it then that as a result of his government's increases in VAT and cuts in gift aid, that Nightingale House Hospice in my constituency is paying an extra £20,000 this year to his friend the Chancellor of the Exchequer? Will he give them their money back? Yes! Well, the, the point I'd make to the Honourable Gentleman, the hospice movement is a fantastic example of the big society, and we should see it expand. And what my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, has done is actually increase gift aid so that more people can give more money and make it more effective. But I have to say, as he's another Welsh Member of Parliament, let me put this point to him. Why is he supporting an NHS cut in Wales that will hit not just hospices, but will hit hospitals, hit GPs, hit community services? That is what is coming out of this question time. Labour are cutting the NHS. You cannot trust Labour with our National Health Service. Jonathan Evans. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. The, the whole House will be aware that younger women drivers face a massive hike in their insurance premiums next year and as a direct result of a European Court judgment. In that context, therefore, does my right honourable friend share my disappointment that this judgment has been warmly welcomed by London's Labour Euro MP Mary Honeywall, who has indicated that she considers it to be admirable and the price of equality. Well, I, I have to say to my old friend, it shows that the, the, some of the loony left is still alive and well in our country, because frankly, insurance premiums ought to reflect risk. Right. And I think you'll find it's down there. Um, Insurance premiums ought to reflect risk, and my honourable friend, as ever, is displaying common sense, whereas the European Court did not. Mr Jamie Reid. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's, it's, now almost, it's now almost 12 months since the Prime Minister visited the West Cumberland Hospital in my hospital um, in the wake of the shooting atrocities which took place there. It's a matter of profound regret to members, I believe, on all sides of the House that the Government has chosen to do nothing on gun laws in the intervening period, but whilst he was there, he also visited with accident emergency clinicians and other clinical service providers who are now facing their services being removed as a result of GP commissioning. Will he do them a favour? Will he do my constituents a favour? Will he remove GP commissioning from the health bill? Well, well, first of all, I well remember visiting the, the hospital in the Honourable Gentleman's constituency. It's a fantastic hospital, and it did brilliant work during those incredibly tragic times about which he spoke. And I can absolutely reassure him he does not need to worry about the future of the West Cumberland Hospital. I understand that he's met the Minister of State for Health to discuss concerns. They're in agreement that issues need to be resolved swiftly. The Department of Health is working closely with the local NHS to produce pro proposals to redevelop the hospital. That is what's going to happen. Investment going into the NHS because of the commitments we've made, whereas sadly I'm afraid the party he's committed, luckily he's not in Wales, where they're cutting the NHS, but I suspect they'd do the same in England as well. Richard Harrington. Thank you. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, will be aware that this country lost 1.7 million manufacturing jobs under the last Labour government. Yeah. 
Could he explain to us what plans the government have to make sure this decline is reversed? Well, what we're seeing over the last year already is an increase in manufacturing output, an increase in manufacturing exports. I was up in Bedford last week at the GM plant where they're actually massively expanding, creating more jobs, bringing £150 million of offshore contracts back into the UK. We're backing that with low tax rates, with deregulation, with more apprentices. This is a government that's pro-enterprise, pro-jobs, pro-manufacturing, that's going to dig us out of the mess the last lot left. Uh, doesn't the nightmare of Fukushima mean that the planned uh, renaissance of nuclear power will be stillborn? Shouldn't he be planning for a future that will be free of the cost, fear, anxiety of nuclear power and will be rich in renewables that are British, that are green, that are inexhaustible and safe? Well, what I'd say to the Honourable Gentleman is, of course, we've got to learn the lessons from Fukushima. But as I've said before, it's a different reactor design in a different part of the world with different pressures. The British nuclear industry does have a good safety record, but clearly they've got to go on proving that and proving that in the light of the new evidence, such as it is, that comes out of Japan. That's what must happen, and the head of the Nuclear Inspectorate will do exactly that. Ian Swales. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister is a vociferous opponent of the alternative vote system and reserves, reserves, reserves their special disdain for the idea that someone might win after coming second in an early round. Will he therefore stand aside in favour of the Right Honourable Member for Halton, Price and House, who beat him to the post in 2005? I, um... I seem to remember in uh, my leadership it ended up with the two of us touring the country. It was a popular vote, and I'm pleased to say, unlike some parties around here, the person who won actually won. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Ben Bradshaw. Uh, given, given, uh, given that our recovery has in effect stalled since he became Prime Minister, does he stand by what he said to this House after his first budget last June, that, and I quote, unemployment will fall every year in this Parliament? Yeah. Well, what I was quoting was the Office of Budget Responsibility. But the fact is, the fact is this. Since, since 12 months ago, there are 390,000 more people in private sector jobs than there were a year ago. I would have thought with the economy growing, with exports up, with manufacturing up, with more people in work, he should be welcoming that instead of joining the doom mongers on his front bench who can only talk the economy down. Lee Scott. Will the Prime Minister join me calling for an independent international review after the UN report into the crimes committed by the Sri Lankan government to the Tamil people? Well, my honourable friend raises an important point, and there are still unanswered questions from that period. I will look closely at what he says and write to him. Mr. Nigel Dodds. Speaker, the service of our armed forces in Afghanistan and elsewhere deserves to be recognised at the highest level, and all the time, as the Prime Minister has often said. Why on earth, therefore, have the Royal Irish Regiment and the Irish Guards been denied a homecoming parade in Belfast? Will the Prime Minister intervene and talk to colleagues to ensure that this process of recognition for our troops and appreciation by the citizens of Northern Ireland can rightly take place as soon as possible. Well, first of all, let me thank the Honourable Gentleman for raising this issue, because the bravery of the, the Royal Irish and the Irish Guards in Afghanistan has been outstanding, and sadly, both regiments have suffered 
loss of life during their recent deployments. As I understand it, a number of homecoming events will be taking place across Northern Ireland. We're discussing this issue with Belfast City Council and others about how we can give recognition to their tremendous bravery. No decision has yet been made. I will make sure he's fully involved in those discussions. But it is also worth noting, because they're sanctioned, they're actually stationed in North Shropshire. They've already had a very successful homecoming parade in Market Drayton, and I'm sure they have many others besides. Mr Henry Smith. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Will uh, the Prime Minister join with me in congratulating Crawley Borough Council on freezing its council tax this year? And can he say how many other local authorities across the country have frozen their council tax uh, against the uh, advice of the party opposite, which described that policy as a gimmick? Well, I'm, I'm pleased to announce that every single council in the country, in spite of the fact that they dismissed it as a gimmick, and in spite of the fact that the leader of the Labour Party has said they ought to be able to charge more, every council has given the hard-pressed council ta- taxpayers a council tax freeze. And we all remember what happened over the last ten years where council tax doubled. It was the tax of choice of the party opposite taking money out of people's pockets. We're freezing that council tax to give people a break, and they deserve it. Order. We must now move on.